Was the Grand Canyon formed over millions and millions of years, or does geological research indicate catastrophism? Find out on Wonders Without Numbers. Welcome to Wonders Without Number. I'm your host, David Reeves. You know, we want to inform and inspire you regarding the things that we see all around us, an infinite number of wonders that point us back to our Creator. That's right, we have a God that cares about us. He wants us to know that He loves you. He wants you to be a part of His family for eternity, so much that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to this little planet to offer us eternal life with Him. Every week we discuss scientific topics ranging from the heavens all the way down to the earth, and today we want to specifically focus in on rocks. And now, let's meet my guest. Dr. John Whitmore has his PhD from Loma Linda University, and he teaches geology at Cedarville University. I am excited to have him in the studio today. Welcome to the program. Hi David, it's good to be here. It is great to have you here. Now, before we get going, briefly tell me, how did you get interested in rocks? Since a kid, I've been picking up rocks and looking at fossils and stuff like that. And so geology and paleontology was just a natural uh, discipline for me to begin to study. That's neat. What sort of triggered your interest in how all of that fits within a biblical time frame? And as a, as a Christian at a university studying geology, it was a secular university I was at, I really began to ask a lot of questions. and you know, how does science fit with the Bible? And I tried to integrate uh, evolution and, and things like that into scripture. And I just was so uncomfortable in doing that. And so I really became convinced that science does support scripture and, and scripture uh, can be supported by what we see in science. That's amazing. Now, we wanna specifically dive into a, uh, a very specific topic today, mm -hmm. all right, because I don't know how many of our viewing audience watching right now has stood at the rim of the Grand Canyon. Maybe they have been down to the river. But even if you've only seen a picture, pictures don't do it justice, am I right? That's right. Uh, I've seen pictures all my life. When I first stood at the rim, I couldn't believe how beautiful and massive it really was. But the Grand Canyon is massive and it has all of these layers. One of those particular layers uh, is of interest to creation scientists mm -hmm. because right. of some of the the implications involved and also because of some of the speculation of uh, secular scientists. Yeah. What layer is that? So that's right, the third layer from the top of the Grand Canyon is the Coconino Sandstone and it's this uh, very light colored layer uh, right there near the top. It's three layers down, so fortunately it doesn't take too long to hike down to. <laughs> if you're uh, hiking in the canyon, you can usually get down to the bottom of it in about an hour or so. Okay. But I started looking at this layer about 20 years ago. And uh, the reason it's important for creationists is because uh, most evolutionists look at this layer and say these, this layer represents fossilized desert sand dunes. Okay. And of course, you cannot have fossilized desert sand dunes in the middle of Noah's flood. And so it's been a very important for creationists to study. So what you're saying is that if there really was a global flood, like the Bible describes, mm -hmm. well then these layers should have been laid down as a part of that geological event of the flood. That's right. But if one layer right in the middle of all these other flood layers happens to be sand in a desert, 
well then all of a sudden a yeah. big catastrophic flood does not make sense. That's anymore. right. It would nullify Noah's flood and evolutionists realize that. Okay, so this is a m major challenge and something that we want to address because it's a super important topic to try to get to the bottom of. That's right. So that's why I've been digging into this uh, formation uh, so often. Uh, here's a picture of what it looks like up close. And uh, this is the coconino right here. You can see it has some angled layers in it, and those are supposed to represent the angles that you see in sand dunes. Ah, okay. And so uh, this layer is thought to be fossil sand dunes, and so evolutionists will often use this to attack creationists. Um, and it's been a challenge for us, somewhat of an embarrassment uh, before we started to look into it. But once we started to look into it and find out what's there, I think now it's the evolutionists' turn to explain why they've been wrong all these years. All right. So our goal was to show that this uh, unit was formed underwater. And I think we found some pretty good evidence for that, and I'd like to share some of that evidence with you today. Love that. So Let's take a look. Yeah, so like I said, evolutionists have been concerned about this unit, and they've been watching us, they've been critiquing us. And uh, a few years ago in Earth Magazine, uh, there was one of the guys that wrote an article about this. Uh, I'd been presenting and some of my colleagues had been presenting about the Coconino in secular conferences. And this, uh, this particular guy came along and was uh, you know, checking up on us and making sure <laughs> that we were doing good work. And he rightly said that Coconino sands stick in the eye of the creationist model. Mm -hmm. And went on to say how we need to explain this in the midst of the flood. And what we've been doing uh, all these years in our work on the Coconino is showing that there's some things in the Coconino that you can't explain in a desert. So there's some things that actually in the Coconino that require water to be laid down. All right, let's talk about for a moment interpretation of data, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, you have to look at all of the data that's there and then mm -hmm. best frame it around a, partic a particular model, right? That's right. And so Actually, even though the Coconino is a well-known formation, mm -hmm. there hadn't been a lot of scientific work on it. Okay. And so we had the opportunity there to dig into and find out what it was all about. And so that's what we did. We started off by doing library work. A good scientist is always going to read the literature and find out what has been written on it scientifically and go through that. Uh, while we were doing that, we started to plan some field work. and. Uh, go out into the field and actually look at this formation. So we've spent many months out in the field over multiple years uh, looking at the, the full extent of the Coconino from top to bottom, from edge to edge, uh, looking at what it looks like. And it's not a project that I've done on my own. I've had a number of guys uh, that have helped me uh, with this in the field. And then as you're doing field work, you collect samples so you can look at it under the microscope, so you can uh, do X-ray diffraction work and so forth, so you can find out some of the details on the rock that you can't necessarily see in the field. Wait a second, wait a second. You, it sounds like you're talking about real scientific yeah, research here. That's right. No, gotta, it, you mean this, this whole creation science thing is not pseudoscience? That's right. We were actually looking, <laughs> at, looking at data, and then our conclusions are based on the, the data that we find. In fact, a lot of the secularists are making assumptions not based on data, just based on what they learned. That's right. And we found that out in this formation that a lot of people had written about the Coconino and described the Coconino without really knowing what's there. Mm -hmm. And it's turned out that a lot of their uh, conclusions and 
and so on that they've written about are actually wrong. Hmm. And I'm going to show you a number of myths today that, that we found out about the Coconino. Let's take a look. So yeah. And so here's, here's some of the um, common claims that are made about the Coconino. People say it has steep crossbeds. Okay. Uh, they say that the sand is well-rounded and well-sorted because that's usually what you find in desert sands. Mm -hmm. uh, they would say the Coconino has raindrop prints. Uh, they would say that the contorted beds that you see in the Coconino are the result of desert sand dunes uh, collapsing and sliding. Hmm. Uh, there's some minerals that we shouldn't see in the Coconino. For example, dolomite is a marine type of mineral, so we wouldn't expect that in the Coconino sandstone. Mm -hmm. And mica is a really soft mineral. And if mica is in a desert situation, uh, the sand grains, the quartz sand grains oh. hitting against the mica wear it down yes. and, and just cause it to disappear. And then finally, um, we uh, found some structures that, that uh, uh, underwater called sand waves that might be very similar to the Coconino. And this was kind of a surprise for us. So we wanted to take a look at those and, and uh, have some type of model for Coconino uh, deposition. So these are things that we should expect if the Coconino sandstone, right there in the middle of the Grand Canyon, was formed by aeolian, basically desert That's sand right. dunes instead right. of underwater yeah. sand dunes. So there are some expectations that people have and what, we, what happened is we went out and started to study this. We found out that those expectations were false. Test, repeat, observe. Yeah, that's right. Let's so look. Let's look at some of those. Uh, one of the first things we looked at was how steep these layers in the Coconino are. And they're called crossbeds. Okay. Um, these are some of the measurements that we made. We made over 200 measurements to get this data. And everybody was saying that the crossbeds are really steep. Hmm. But actually, we, we actually put the compass on the crossbeds and, and tallied up our, all our data. The average was about 20 degrees. Really? And that's about 13 or 14 degrees less than what you would expect if these were desert sand dune deposits. Hmm. And so the crossbed dip ends up being a little bit low. Okay. for um, then being uh, desert sand dunes. So this is a major is really clue interesting. right here. That's right. And so the problem is that our, that our data shows that the average is only about 20. Mm -hmm. And everybody had been saying in the literature that, that these uh, cross beds were much, much steeper. They assumed. Nobody they, actually went out and, and they measured. Didn't get it, they didn't get their Brunton compasses out <laughs> and measure things. So that's the first myth. Okay. Um, and here's some of the cross beds in the Coconino. Oh, yeah. And you might think by just looking at this picture that these are really steep angles. But if you actually get a compass and put it on that slope right there, mm -hmm. you'll find out that this one is probably about 18 degrees or so. Wow. It's not as steep as you might think it is. You're listening to Wonders Without Number with David Reeves. The message presented today was filmed in studio at David Reeves Ministries Wonders of Creation Center and is available in video format with powerful accompanying visuals. Subscribe to our Genesis Plus package online to get instant access to the video format of this message and hundreds of others right on your computer or mobile device. If you are encouraged by this message and would like to be a part of sharing this information with millions across the globe, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 931-212-7990 or write us at David Reeves Ministries, Post Office Box 2824, Lewisburg, Tennessee, 37091. 
Visit our website, davidreeves.com today. That's davidreves.com. And now, back to Wonders Without Number with David Reeves. The other thing uh, that we did was we went out to a lot of deserts and actually looked at sand dunes and deserts. And so this is out in Great Dunes uh, National Park in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And you can see these avalanche tongues that are coming down mm -hmm. uh, the, the backside of the sand dune there. And that's where the slopes are very steep. Their slopes are about 33 or 34 degrees there. And you can see how narrow uh, these tongues are. And we looked for that kind of thing in the Coconino in very many places and never found them. These are some tongues that are preserved in the, in the cross section of some dunes out in California. And you can see these circular tongue-like features yes. in these. And that's something we never found in the Coconino, which is another clue that, you know, the Coconino is maybe, maybe doesn't represent a desert sand dune. Okay. So these cross beds were really important features that we looked at. Well now, all right, so s sand in a desert uh, should have cross bedding, but mm -hmm. the cross bedding, the angle should be steeper than yes. what we're finding That's right. for the sandstone, the sand that has right. turned to stone yeah. at the Grand Canyon. Yeah, and there might be a few degrees of compaction that you might expect, but still you wouldn't expect a difference as much as you know, 13 or 14 degrees as to what we're right. finding. You're saying that, that with massive amounts of sediment on top that mm -hmm. perhaps things might yeah, have been... Yeah, those angles may be lessened a little bit, but... Uh, not 13 degrees or more. No, not, okay. that, not that much. Okay. So another myth that we found, a lot of people had written that the sand was well sorted mm -hmm. and that all the sand grains were well rounded. That means that all the sharp corners get knocked off. And that's typically what you find in desert sand dunes. And geologists actually have a scale to describe rounding. It's uh, the, the, the things that are most rounded are called well rounded. Mm -hmm. Then you go all the way down to very angular. Okay. And then sorting, you can have something being very well sorted or very poorly sorted. Mm -hmm. And in desert sand dunes, you expect the sand to be up at this top range right here. Okay. But in the Coconino, we found that the sand was subangular and that it wasn't sorted very well. And here's some pictures that kind of demonstrate this. So these are microscope slides, and you can see how the angular uh, the sand grains are under yeah. the microscope. So these are all sand grains. And you can see, here's another microscope slide of the wide variety of sizes uh, that you see in the sand grains. And not only so, that, you can see that they're angular and right. that there's a, a vast difference in size. And so this is good evidence, I think, of water deposition. And you wouldn't expect to see these kinds of things very often in a, in a desert setting. Okay. So the other thing that people say is that oftentimes they find raindrop prints in the Coconino. And when rain falls in sand, it, it often looks like the picture on the right over there. It's kind of a mottled surface. It, is, it doesn't make craters like this. This is these raindrops in mud. Okay. And these are the things that we found in the Coconino. This would be the bottom side of a rock, and you can see those little uh, dimples there looking at it from the bottom side. Mm -hmm. And you can see they, they look like raindrop prints in mud. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind the Coconino is sand. sand. And you can see that they're in bands as well, and raindrops don't make bands. So I'm not sure what these are, but these things that are claimed to be raindrop prints uh, certainly are not. So that's interesting. You're talking about it, it seems like there's sort of striations or bands of these dimples. That's right. Which raindrop prints, you would expect that to be totally all uniform. Over. Yeah, we'd expect it all over that surface, okay. not in bands. Okay, interesting. 
Another thing that we found in the Coconino that you wouldn't expect in a desert is dolomite. Okay. And dolomite is a type of marine mineral. It would only form in an ocean uh, type of setting. And these red X's indicate uh, dolomite beds that we found. And when we were out this outcrop, I remember uh, going there with Ray Strom. Mm -hmm. We were debating in the field, what in the world was this? And we weren't even thinking dolomite at the time. It wasn't until uh, Ray took some of this back to the lab and did some uh, x-ray work on it that we proved it was dolomite, but we should have been able to figure it out there in the field, but we just weren't expecting it. And this is and your hiking pole, so yeah. this is pretty extensive. Yep, okay. and those, those are uh, wide beds. They're not very thick, uh, but they're you know, extensive yeah. along the outcrop. Hmm. And as we started to look at this rock under the microscope, we found some other really interesting thing called ooids. Okay. Uh, these little uh, ball bearing type looking mm -hmm. things, I have them in yellow circles, are called ooids. Mm -hmm. And those only form in a marine setting as well. And these happen to be dolomite ooids. A lot mm. of the ooids that people report on are calcite ooids. And we found uh, these big particles, these are dolomite clasts. Okay. So these are, these are big chunks. These white things are sand grains, so you can see how much bigger they are than the sand grains. Yeah. And over in the other picture, we see the brown in there. Mm -hmm. That's a dolomite cement uh, that we found in a lot of areas. And we also found some dolomite ROMs uh, there hmm. towards the, the bottom of the picture. And again, uh, we didn't find these in one place. We found these in a lot of different places. And so again, this, this is indicating a marine setting. Another thing that we saw under the microscope, uh, and again, we wouldn't have seen this if we didn't do the work in collecting the rocks and taking the time to look at it under the microscope. Mm -hmm. We looked at about 400 uh, microscope slides, and one of our surprises was a mineral called muscovite, and the two red arrows That's point. That's it right there. Yeah, and muscovite is like the pages of a book. You can see the little layers yes. in there. And this is a really soft mineral that gets eaten up very fast in desert settings. And so again, uh, you find this kind of mineral a lot in water settings and streams and beaches in the ocean, but not in deserts because it gets mm -hmm. chewed up too fast. And we found this all through the Coconino. So again, it, it really does support a marine origin for this. Wow. And then the last thing that, that I wanna talk about today is that there have been these things discovered called marine sand waves. Mm -hmm. And these are like giant sand dunes that are underwater. Hmm. And here's two pictures. One is from the Golden Gate Bridge area. You might recognize that in the background. Right this is a radar image, so you can see these big ripples under the, under the water where the water would be, and these are called sand waves. Hmm. They're like giant underwater sand dunes, and they're made by rapidly moving water. And here's another image from uh, Long Island Sound area. That little blip right there in the middle mm -hmm. is a shipwreck that's about as big as a football field. So that'll Whoa. give you an idea how big uh, these things are. So these are giant sand dunes and yeah. all of these little ripples here yep. are actually very, very massive sand that's dunes. That's right. That's right. And it doesn't, it, it, it uh, has been found out that these things occur um, widely on continental shelves. They occur all over the place. And so we're thinking about a model similar to this to explain uh, the Coconino sandstone. Okay. And so here are the myths that, that we read in the literature mm -hmm. about the Coconino. And what I want to do now is, is turn this around and say, here are seven facts okay. that support a marine origin for the Coconino. Yeah. It has crossbed dips that are about 20 degrees. Okay. Uh, the sand is subangular and moderately sorted. Uh, raindrop prints are absent. Sense. Okay. Uh, the large contor contorted beds are the parabolic recumbent folds. Okay. 
Uh, we have the mineral dolomite and various mica minerals in the Coconino that suggest again that it's a, a water laid deposit. And we see uh, structures on the continental shelves that, that resemble uh, what big sand dunes would look like underwater. And mm. so we think that that's a possible model for how the Coconino uh, may have formed. Uh, so we really think our study on the Coconino is important. Um, we think that a lot of the things that we have found clearly show that this sandstone was made underwater and mm. not made in the desert. And the importance of that is that it, it shows that, that we can trust the scripture. Scripture says in Genesis uh, 7, 8, 9 that there was a big flood that covered the earth. And the Coconino is right in the middle of that, we think, and it has multiple evidences of being made underwater. Wow. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about the other layers of the canyon, because we've looked very specifically at the Coconino sandstone, mm -hmm. which is one of the critics' best responses to why mm -hmm. these layers could not have been formed by one singular flood. The other layers, the layers above mm -hmm. and the layers beneath, you've got limestone. Mm -hmm. Limestone marine. is marine. Yeah. Everybody's going to agree yep. on that, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. You've got mud and siltstone, things mm -hmm. like that, right? Yep. And even most secularists would agree that's going to take Yeah, water. for how extensive they are and how flat-lying they are, it's hard to imagine another situation other than the bottom of an ocean floor wow. uh, where those things could form. Okay. So there's evidence, in, and I think all of the layers of Grand Canyon, that they were made underwater. So we Every layer the of the Grand Canyon. We picked the Coconino because that was the hardest one. All the others <laughs> are going to be fairly easy after that one. That's pretty neat. Yeah. That's pretty Because when you tackle the hardest question, and you still come out mm -hmm. with all of these evidences, still maybe a few questions that we, we have to research, but all of these evidences that seem to suggest that the most difficult layer to explain using a global flood model, a biblical flood model, is actually not difficult at all. It appears to have been laid down in a marine environment. Well, you got to do the science, and that's the hard part. Okay. Uh, so you got to have the patience to get out there in the field and the expertise to look at this stuff in the in the laboratory, and uh, do the library work to understand what it really means. Uh, if you could encourage someone watching right now who may be thinking about going into one of these fields, or uh, maybe they're just they just enjoy researching for themselves, what would you recommend? Uh, do well in your science and math in high school mm -hmm. and uh, go to a college that where you can really learn and uh, learn about critical thinking and how to reason these kinds of things through. And uh, read your scriptures as well and trust what the scriptures say. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Great to see you. Thanks. It is encouraging that everything we read in the Bible we find evidence all around. If you trust the Word of God, it'll never let you down. I want to thank you for joining us on Wonders Without Number today. I hope you'll join us for our next episode as we explore more of the wonders of God's universe. I'm David Reeves. Keep looking up. Truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. Hello, I'm David Reeves, host of the TV show Creation in the 21st Century on TVN and the Heavens Declare video series. 
Each week we talk about breaking discoveries in science which reveal that our Creator, the God of the Bible, has left a pattern of His fingerprints throughout the universe. Engage with other like-minded believers through the Creation Club. This website offers thousands of articles written by scores of authors in multiple languages. Sign up to get our free monthly magazine delivered to your door. Want more? Genesis Science Network is our free 24-7 TV network, reaching millions of people around the world on internet, Roku, Fire TV, and mobile devices. Shop over a thousand books and videos on the Creation Superstore, the world's largest origins-related store. Visit our Wonders of Creation Center and sign up for email updates to have encouraging articles sent straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook for daily inspiration and education regarding science and the Bible.